News. 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 New York City. The FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC. I'm Ari Siegel in Brooklyn here with Professor Christina Greer, also in Brooklyn. Hello. Hello, Harry Siegel. And Alex Brooklyn holed up in a hotel room in Manhattan as her apartment has lousy uh, emergency renovations. Hello. Hello. And we've got a big episode for you this week. We asked all eight of the leading mayoral candidates to answer two tough questions in 10 minutes. Some of them did, some of them didn't. I have my guesses as to why for those who did not. But you'll hear the ones who stepped up shortly. Before we get to that, we also wanted to have on one candidate we had not to date, Paperboy Prince. So he called us from a food distribution event. He was running in Brooklyn. Let's jump right in. Okay. Paperboy, you there? <laughs> Paper, yeah. It's our time. Okay, great. Hold on. I'll get started. Welcome to FAQ. Uh, today, we have Paperboy Love Prince for our tight 10 minutes of the mayoral candidates. Welcome, Paperboy Love Prince, to FAQ NYC. Thank you so much for having me, Christina, Harry, everyone. Thank you. Absolutely. So you're running for a mayor of New York City. You want to be the 110th mayor. It doesn't look like you're going to win. So why are you running? And tell us what sort of are your main issues that you want to get across. Are you an issue candidate or are you really actually in this thing to win it? Well, first off, Christina, uh, that's a bold assumption. I'd like for you to hear why you think I wouldn't win because you're saying that I wouldn't win even though out of the candidates just last year, I got more votes in this city than most of the candidates. Andrew Yang, who ran for president, citywide, a person named Paperboy Love Prince got more votes than him. Diane Morales, Catherine Garcia, Sean Dunn. Should I go on? I've gotten more votes than all of them. I'd like to see them do better in a congressional primary in New York City than Paperboy Love Prince. So for me, when you say that it doesn't look like I'm going to win, it sounds like you might be in Massachusetts or Nevada or, I don't know, Bora Bora, but definitely not in New York City. Because if you're walking around the streets of New York City, if you're talking to voters, if you're talking to seniors, if you're talking to Latinos, if you're talking to queer folks, if you're talking to Black, they're super excited about this campaign. That's the only way that we got this far, because the city is so passionate about something new. They're tired of the same old, same old establishment politicians and then these outsiders that look more and more like establishment politicians every day. So <laughs> I think that we're going to do a lot better than a lot of folks are saying, uh, a lot of folks that are ready to write us off because they have been so disconnected from what the people actually want. We've been so, right. in, so indoctrinated on. into what the political establishment wants yeah. that we've lost what the people want. And that's what we're about. True that. So have you turned down uh, invitations to the debates or have you not been invited? So I, have, I went to the last debate. Outside of it, I performed uh, and spoke a lot of our platform and we were right there. Uh, I believe we were on the Upper West Side and folks were like, yo, you should be in there. These are Upper West Side voters like, oh my goodness, Paperboy's in my neighborhood, but is it my birthday? You know, they were excited to see us. So when you talk about the debates, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, and the hypocrisy in the debates, especially a lot of the progressive candidates, I can name all their names, but I'm, this isn't free ad space for them. Um, all of these progressive candidates that claim to be progressives 
are the same ones that are upholding a system that keeps money in politics. What is your incentive to not be a corrupt politician when to get in the debates, you have to hit a threshold of $250,000 in a short window uh, and that 250 has to be raised in a way that you get $2 million. So you, because of the CFB requirements, you're saying that folks are saying, oh, people being vi- viable because they're not a millionaire or billionaire. I'm the only non-millionaire and non-billionaire, non-backed by them that's actually running for mayor and coming this far. A lot of the people that I talked to, a lot of the other candidates that I thought weren't millionaires, five minutes into the conversation, they can't wait to tell me they're a millionaire. So for me, I wear that as a badge of honor that I'm more in line with most New Yorkers than the elite that seek to uh, lead us and, you know, do what their corporate overlords want us to do instead of what the people want. So you're 28 years old. Have you ever voted in New York City? Yes, I have. I've Mm -hmm. I've voted and I've uh, encouraged others to vote. I've actually led massive voter registration campaigns where I've used my rap shows and our concerts to actually get a lot of folks registered to vote and inform them on the process. A lot of folks who are so quick to click independent and green on their voter registration forms, I let them know, hey, we live in New York City, which is a one-party city. We only have the Democratic Party. So if you want your vote to count, register as a Democrat. I'm not saying they're good. In fact, I'm saying they're bad. So so hop in and register to vote uh, as a Democrat. So yes, I, I vote here. I'm also a member of the Kings County uh, Committee, uh, Democratic County Committee. And uh, so I represent my block here. And I've also encouraged 100 folks to run for office with me during my mayoral run, um, where I've been teaching folks how to run for office. I've had folks run for judicial delegate as well. We even put John Oliver on the ballot as kind of like a a way to even draw attention to our efforts to get folks uh, on there. So, so yes, I voted in all parts of this process. Paper boy, as we're talking to you now, you're you're at a uh, food distribution event, I believe. Uh, Can you tell us a a bit about your work there and how that's been going in the midst of running from me? Yeah. So when the pandemic hit last year, I was actually already running for Congress and, um, you know, folks knew how connected I was to the community. So uh, a lot of business owners started offering their surplus food. Uh, they even started offering their office spaces and their spaces to us. So I got donated spaces and food. And, okay, now how do we get to work and serve the community? So over the last year, you know, I've been able to give out millions of dollars worth of food. And in my space, which I started here in September... Uh, we get, have given away over $2.5 million of you know, free food to our community. We currently have a line outside as we speak. Our, our truck is running a little behind um, today. But yeah, so that's been an awesome project that I've been a part of and worked with a lot of community members. You know, we're about mutual aid. So I also take part in the, the food that we give away. I, I get it because for me, it's not just about charity and I'm so great. You know, it's about Let's work together. So, and then we just also launched on my platform is housing for all. And so we launched a uh, new uh, house called tiny house NYC. I just built my first home, a tiny home that's emergency housing, free emergency housing 24 seven that folks can, you know, rent out here. No questions asked. Uh, It's completely solar powered. 
And yeah, it was built by the Queen's design team in collaboration with myself and the paperboyprints.com love gallery. So we're doing things right now with the resources we have to address the problems that we see in the community and, you know, uh, build uh, awareness and raise awareness about these issues. So you're, that sounds great. Your campaign manager is... And, and one, one thing, sorry, it was one thing I thought of too, uh, about raising awareness, even here at the Love Gallery, we did a, a pie in the face uh, kind of event with Catherine Garcia, another candidate for mayor who you would say, um, at, before we did this event, it was not looking like, you know, like she's going to be the one or anything like that. And then after it, a lot of great things happened for her and her campaign. Donations went up. Uh, the New York Times endorsement. In fact, the New York Times, in an article that they wrote about her just yesterday, in the first paragraph, it said, yo, that Paperboy Prince event what, was a, a, a turning point in her campaign. Mm-hmm. That's in the first mm-hmm. paragraph of, of that New York Times profile. Now, obviously, I'm not taking credit for the work that they're doing, and I'm not even endorsing her as a candidate, but saying that, to say that you know, we're using our platform to bring folks together and raise awareness about the issues that are going on. Because at the end of the day, it's not about politics. It's about helping people. Right. So your campaign manager is 13 years old. It looks like you're building or trying to build a pipeline uh, for politics by bringing in these hundred new people to run for office. Part of the critique that a lot of Democrats have is that we were a little stagnant and we keep people around for quite some time and they don't open up the floodgates to have young, new ideas and fresh ideas come in. Uh, let's just say uh, someone else wins the Democratic primary. Would you be willing to work in an administration with uh, one of the candidates? Or what do you see your next steps in New York City uh, if you aren't victorious on June 22nd? They said that we couldn't do it, but you see we did. Not a daddy, but these politicians, my kids. I thought the water, I look like a squid. You got us on a ballot. Now we about to win <laughs> over your head, like some overhead lighting, giving out hugs and kisses. No, I'm not fighting. I'm spreading that love. I don't care if you like it. They see my style, all started biting. Diamonds like lightning, plus I'm enlightened. Sounding fake as a script they reciting. What happens next? Suspense is heightened. What me in a cage like kids were biting. I'm eating good, might get the itis. My name in their mouth like ginger fighters. It's our time, you think I'm psychic. Moves like a hero, ain't got a sidekick. <laughs> paper. Yeah. Christina, I'm ready to spread love. Wh- whatever administration, whatever, I'm ready to spread love. I'm ready to be there, boots on the ground, spread love right here, right now. So I'm down to work with anyone and everyone. And that's something that I've been critiqued for right now. People are like, oh, why are you hanging out with Andrew Yang? Why you got a picture smiling with Eric Adams? Why are you doing it? I'm like, I'm, we got to find ways to work with people. You know, there's so many people in my community who don't have a chance to even have their voice heard, who are, are in a NYCHA building without a sink, without a bathtub, who are in a school without the adequate books and technology they need. So for me, I have to be doing everything in my power to get as close as I can to the folks that are in the conversations and then hold them accountable for what they're supposed to be doing. Paperboy, two more quick questions. And thank you again for taking the time. First off, Opposition file research. You put out a whole Washington Wizards-oriented mixtape. <laughs> Who would you Favorite. represent for as men? What uh, what what basketball team you're asking? Correct. You know, I I always grew up a Knicks fan, and my uncle used to make fun of me because he was like, man, you don't want to be a loser. You can't root for the Knicks. You go. <laughs> 
I'm like, you're a Steelers fan. What are you talking about? But, um, you know, for me, I don't know if you see me on the court. I, I actually played a basketball game against Andrew Yang, beat him very bad. Every time I see him, he's like, yo, thank you for taking it easy on me. Um, so for me, I'm ready to suit up and play. Like, you know, depending on how this mayoral run works out, you might see me out there for the Knicks. You might see me out for the, for the Nets. Like, there have been conversations and talks about that. So just stay tuned. Last thing here. What, what's your read on the situation happening right now in Washington Square Park with uh, parties and celebrations there and then the Post reporting on this and suddenly the uh, police coming in in force with, uh, with the curfew and shutting things down and then stopping and, and all of that? And how would you handle such things if you were mayor and in control of the NYPD? Listen, you know, I, I used to live in Spain in uh, – I lived in Almeria, Spain at this point. And when I was there, they used to block off the square, like the town kind of like square, whenever the soccer team had a game. I'm not the biggest soccer fan. I used to play, but uh, they would block up because they knew everybody was going to get drunk and everybody was going to have a good time. And, you know, uh, let's just block it off because everybody wants to party. So it's the soccer team. They were just, it was common sense. Uh, governing. Same thing should happen here. You know, people have been locked up in their homes, quite literally, per government order, state, federal, and city for the last year, and it's still going on. So folks need a good outlet. They need outdoor spaces. You know, indoor spaces, a lot of folks still don't feel comfortable, you know, in large crowds. So we need to transform our outdoor spaces into a post-COVID fun center, a place where people can actually come and have fun, where they can release. They're so ready to show their new outfit. They're so ready to see their old friends, to talk to their neighbors, to just see the sun in this park, to see the moon in the park. So for me, how I would handle it is make way, make it easier for folks to have these celebrations, you know, encourage it, Um, bring artists that are there, allow there to be food there, allowed there to be vaccine resources there. You know, there's so many ways where we can turn this into a win for the city. Um, We can have a donation bucket there so we can use that as a way to keep the park clean for the next day so that it's not dirty. Yo, everybody, if you party in here, leave a $1 donation. At the end of it, we we have a couple thousand bucks and that can be used to help clean up the park or go to that fund. We have to start thinking outside of the box instead of being married to policing people and, and to, you know, telling folks what to do. So, for me, you know, the f- fun is literally the driving force of this campaign. We started out saying, Paperboy, 2021, everybody having some fun, Paperboy, 2021, everybody having some funds. And that's a double entendre. It's about you're having fun, but then I also want you to have funds. <laughs> I want to fund the people. We want a basic income. We want people to have what they need. So, uh, for me, that's how we would do it. And that's how we're doing it. I was just in Washington Square Park. And I know Christina is pretty keen on me not winning, but. <laughs> I didn't say that. I'm just saying you weren't at any debates. You're not in the polling. Right. And so let's right. just no, look at the realities of where we just, are. But that's I'm not keen incorrect. on anyone winning or not but that's, winning. But that's just incorrect reporting because I am in polling and I was at the debates. Now, I wasn't on TV screen, but that's I was right. outside of the debate. Okay. <laughs> yes. And, um, as were hundreds of New Yorkers. And, you know, as far as winning, uh, I am on the ballot. So the part that's actually decided by the people 
right? I was nominated by close to 10,000 New Yorkers to be uh, on the ballot for mayor of New York. Not just New Yorkers, Democratic voters, right? So the part that's decided by them is good. Now, the part that's decided by the millionaires, billionaires, corporate elite, corporate media, nah, they don't like me because I'm fighting back against them and I'm taking the city for the people. So yeah, like as far as that, no. But I was what I was saying originally is when I was walking through Washington Square Park, Christina, you wouldn't know I wasn't at the debate. You wouldn't know I'm not at the top of the polls. As I'm walking through Washington Square Park, you would think I'm already the mayor. I'm, t- I'm not, I wish I was lying. We pull up our, our love tank, everybody's showing love, saying, yo, I'm voting for you. I'm so excited. We walk through the park, everybody like, this is the change that we need. You're inspiring me. Like, I feel like I can do it. I'm looking more into local politics. I have people telling me I've never been excited about a local politician ever. There's no reason for me to. And now you're, you're providing that pathway. So I'm super well, excited. Well, you know what, Paperboy Love? I'm so glad that we at FAQ can give you this opportunity to actually talk about your platform. And we wish you the best of luck on June 22nd. Because I do think that there is room and necessity for diverse voices in politics. And especially for people to create a pipeline for new politicians and young people to get involved in politics. So we appreciate you coming on FAQ NYC. Thank you. And Christina, and I thank you. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm so glad to give you this opportunity, too, to, to talk to, you know, one of the premier leaders in this city and actually be able to spread love and, and do this on a platform and, and, you know, bring the city into the future and kind of think outside of the box. Like, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to give you this opportunity. I'm so happy to have this opportunity. And I don't take it lightly. You know, I take this very seriously. Every point of this matters. You know, you all matter. You all are so important. And I love you all so much. Like, the, I, r- before I go, I do want to let folks know just what we're about because we talked about some other things. But for me, the number one thing is spreading love, you know, and sometimes that means tough love, but it's always that real true love. Our platform, basic income, uh, spreading love through love centers, actual places where we'll bring people together. Uh, healthcare for all, housing for all. That basic income is $2,000 a month, by the way. Futuristic schools, no more top-down education, futuristic schools, uh, reparations for the war on drugs, a greener New York, and uh, Wi-Fi for all. So many things. I'm happy to be here. Uh, I love you all. Listen, we're going to change the city. And I, I wanna, I'd love to talk to you once I'm mayor as well and say, I, I, I told you so. Hey, whichever way this ends up, we'll talk. Paperboy Prince, Paperboy Love Prince, thank thank, thank you again for joining us, taking the time. We appreciate it. <laughs> paper, yeah. Alex, so you're right by Washington Square Park. You saw the Post story about how the bad old days are back and it's a hellhole there. And then, I don't know, roughly 100 million police show up to uh, close the uh, park by force and restore order. What's happening? So, I mean, I've lived near Washington Square Park since my family moved from Brooklyn at about 14. And this is a common occurrence. The park gets lively. Uh, police create like an intense presence. The park gets lame. Um, they basically throw the baby out with the bathwater when they're quote unquote clearing the park. It's weird how though they never tend to clear out the park until it becomes visible with teenagers. So over the weekend, there was a curfew in force for Washington Square Park, which if we remember last summer is kind of a bad idea. And the curfew, according to the mayor, was entirely the decision of the NYPD leadership. However, he was making it clear that he supported it, especially Monday when he doubled down on what had happened. 
On Saturday, June 5th, the cops from the 6th Precinct, my precinct, rushed into the park, riot gear, pointing tasers at people's heads, wrestling people to the ground because there were like a few shouts from park kids like, we're not going to leave, et cetera, et cetera. And it reminds everyone of the awful decision to enforce a curfew last year during the George Floyd protests, which resulted in everyone from like not just activists, but journalists, even the mayor's own staff, a lot of whom left shortly afterwards, uh, being like kettled in Mott Haven and abused by police. And side note, only uh, just came out today that only five cops are being charged not sure how they're being charged or in what arena they're being charged, but are being charged with misconduct from last year. Um, only five. Uh, so let me start from the sort of beginning. New York Post publishes an article called NYC's iconic Washington Square Park is now a drug den and it's terrifying neighbors. I've always referred to this corner, the northwest corner of the park, as the dark forest because there's really high trees and they're very dense and it's like shaded and private. And this is obviously where the more hardcore drug users hang out. Like this isn't kids smoking weed. This is Amsterdam. This is like a little heroin, some meth, uh, probably K2. I don't know from personal experience, but, um, you know, this is kind of like the substance corner and it's very, very different from the rest of the park. And a lot of the reporting has been not just reporting, but like neighbors complaining and everything like that has conflated this kind of activity with kids skateboarding, smoking little pot, which is about to be totally legal, selling their artwork, LGBTQ plus community, especially during June, like making out. There was some reference to people, uh, neighbors upset about sexual acts. And I'm assuming they mean, well, I shouldn't assume, but I, it is Pride Month, right? You're going to see a lot of kissing in Washington Square Park. Um, this Northwest corner, this drug use has been going on all of COVID, the cops, maybe before COVID, put up one of those big police lights to try to clear it out for like a week at a time. But like, this is not the kind of, the photographs that ran in the post are not the kids in most of the park. That's not what they're doing. They're skateboarding. They're wearing like weird clothing that we all wore as teens. It is this one corner of the park that is being used to enforces curfew and to have cops go in in some absurd, like literally absurd show of force. And to show how absurd it is, I'm just going to quote Curtis Sliwa, right? Republican mayoral candidate, cat rescuer, madman, red beret guy. Guardian's angel founder. Guardian's yeah. angel founder um, on Metro Focus yesterday saying that this was too much from the NYPD. This guy who quotes Pat Lynch like Pat Lynch is like a saintly scholar. This guy says that it is inappropriate for the cops to go zero to 60 like that and that they should treat the people in most of the park much differently than they should pursue the actual violent crime or drug dealing going on in a very small fraction of the park. When Curtis Lua is to the left of Mayor de Blasio, you know things have gone sideways. And I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more from Curtis in the months to come as he's the likely Republican nominee, which will be its own mess. I don't think he's generally going to be the voice of reason. We did get to talk to uh, several of the candidates who could still be the next mayor as this race gets to a very weird, muddy, and confusing end. 
You heard from Paperboy Prince already. You cut Eric Adams, get out of my room. Turns out Eric Adams' room may be in Fort Lee, New Jersey. <laughs> Eric Adams was one of the ones who did not come on with us. And I will speculate there. It's because he did not want us asking about his I'm a carry a gun bullshit on this podcast. That maybe, he we said, re, maybe we need to re-air that episode or that clip of that episode because his memory of that episode is very different from what we played for the world to hear. So as mayor, would you carry a firearm on you, even with a security detail? Uh, uh, yes, I will, number one. And, and number two, I won't have a security detail. If the city is safe, the mayor shouldn't have a security detail with him. He should be walking the street by himself. Who, in his memory of it, has kept shifting. Uh, somewhat conveniently, his rationales have changed. I do it at the security briefing set, so I was joking around because these people, he doesn't know us, we don't know him that way. You know, uh, it was a friendly sort of setting. I don't know. It's a pretty wild thing to say. He did not take tough questions. Several of the candidates did. Let's start with Diane Morales. Thank you, Diane Morales, for coming back on to FAQ NYC and answering two tough questions. We've only got 10 minutes, so let's get right to it. First things first, much of your staff walked out on your campaign last week. Can you please explain this beautiful mess and what it says about how you'll lead a public workforce of more than 300,000 people? Sure. Um, so let me start off by saying that the staff continues to have my full support. They've had it from the moment that they first expressed the desire to unionize. You know, I, I what, what this reflects, I think, is what it reflects to be a manager and an executive. You have to be able to manage multiple things at the same time. So I'm, you know, engaging in ongoing conversations with the folks that want to unionize. I am continuing to manage the folks that have stayed in place and continuing to work. Um, and I am moving forward with the campaign and, you know, as the candidate and, and, and continuing to talk to people in New York City about the things that matter to them, not just workers' rights, but also, you know, what it means to create a, a safe city, um, what it means to provide housing for everybody and what it means to build a new economy for the people. So, you know, I, I think that that is what is happening. And, and um, I, I feel pretty good about the way I've been managing all of this. And um, I think it's a reflection of, of leadership and management. Can you elaborate just a bit on what's happening with unionization and other issues that have come up uh, in the course of this walkout and, you know, your read on them? Sure, sure. So the staff first um, expressed a desire to unionize two weeks ago yesterday. I immediately said that they had my full support to, to do so. You know, we've had conversations back and forth. We, I offered to actually bring in an outside negotiator really early on because I thought that that would be best to have a professional, you know, with skills and experience to sort of navigate this process. They refused that offer. And since then, their, their, their demands, their list of demands have changed several times. Um, the last time being last week, Wednesday. And at that point, I kind of decided that, you know, we just needed to stop this back and forth um, and really need to bring some serious professionals to the table. So that's where we are right now. We have put that offer out to them um, and are waiting. You know, it's been it's been over 24 hours since we put that out. We have not heard a response back. But I, you know, I am pretty uh, firm that that's the only way to move forward. I, I don't think that I think, you know, folks are a little bit in over their depth and, and just we just need guidance um, from someone who is skilled and seasoned and, and trained in doing this kind of work. And, I, you know, I'm 100 percent supportive of moving forward, but some of the things that the staff have asked for have either been in direct violation of, of campaign finance law or, or uh, you know, other labor laws or increase the uh, liability on the campaign. And, 
you know, I'm willing to support the, the workers' efforts. I'm just not willing to um, break the law in order to do that. So as mayor, though, you know, what yes. if public employees decided to strike, you know, thinking about Taylor Law and things like that? How would you handle that as mayor? Listen, I, you know, I think employees have the right to strike. Um, I don't think they have the right to ask for something that's not legal. Um, and I don't think they have the right to, while they're striking, do things that are illegal, right? So, you know, I had, I had public appearances removed from my calendar um, without my consent. Uh, the campaign was locked out of campaign documents without our consent. Um, you know, we've got we've to do this in good faith. Um, and I think that that's part of why the, you know, the National Labor Relations Act exists um, to help sort of define what, what those parameters are and what those guidelines are. And I think both sides need to be able to adhere to that. So as mayor, though, how would you handle if employees started to strike? In the same way, I would come to the table in, in, in good faith and hear them out and see what we could do in order to get their needs addressed and keep the city moving forward at the same time. Right. You've got to be able to hold two thoughts in your mind at the same time and, and multitask. Uh, and that means being able to hear the needs and the concerns of the workers uh, move forward and move forward swiftly to address those concerns while also keeping the city running, right? There's not the option to stop one while you deal with the other. You have to be able to do, to do it all at once. Gotcha. Well, okay. So next question. You're the one candidate in the race who's wholly embraced the idea of defunding the police. You also founded a charter school and voted for Cuomo. How do these things fit together? Um, so to be clear, I didn't found the charter school. I actually created the concept for the school. And, you know, while, while I technically wasn't the founder, I'm a hundred percent behind that school in particular. The mm -hmm. Broom Street Charter Academy serves some of the most vulnerable youth in the city, foster care youth, homeless youth. Um, and that is exactly uh, what I think needs to happen. I don't see any sort of real inconsistencies in, in terms of that, in terms of, uh, you know, the policing issue, I do believe that there is a path to safety for our communities and for our city that does not involve continuing to grow and expand our already overly bloated police departments. I think we know that communities that are safe, that are truly safe, look a lot different than the ones that, you know, that are heavily policed right now. And we need to actually, not actually talking about just removing police, I'm also talking about replacing them with people who do the work to help address people's needs, right? So whether we're talking about mental health services for the mentally ill, um, whether we're talking about counseling for those with substance abuse, whether we're talking about providing housing for those who are homeless, the path to safety, to real community safety, does not look like policing. And, and we have for too long conflated those concepts, despite the fact that, you know, you know if there were a, a a correlation between the two, we would and should be the safest city in the world because we are the most, you know, highly budgeted and, and heavily policed city. Um, and so we, we, we need to understand the things that actually result in safety. That, that, that includes economic security and it includes meeting people's basic human needs. And I've seen, I've seen it remarked that you voted for Cuomo, you've supported charter schools, and yet you're the, the far left candidate in the race, uh, I think understood as. Uh, is, is there any tension or contradiction there or, or no in your view? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. I mean, I've never claimed uh, the late, you know, I am who I am and, and who I am actually is a, is a New Yorker, is a true New Yorker. You know, New Yorkers don't neatly fit into any one box. They, you know, I've never fit in neatly into any, any one box or anyone else's definition. Of, of who I should be, you know, in terms of 
quote unquote supporting charter schools. Um, we, we've got two instances in, on record. I've you know embraced the Broom Street Academy because I think it serves some of the most vulnerable youth. Um, and I did think that the model for the, the school in the Bronx sounded promising. I think it, it, ultimately in terms of charter schools, we need to we need to move away from the charter school model. We need to focus on on our public schools and including uh, improving the quality of our public schools. I understand why families choose charters. Uh, but we need to actually make it so that uh, they don't need to make that choice because our public schools are, are so, such quality schools that that's where everybody wants to be. One, one more quick follow-up on our first question, and then, then we'll get you to our one-question lightning round. What do you think of the Taylor Law, and would you support its use if you were ma- the The Taylor Law, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you're asking about? Yep. So, so it's a state law from 1967, yeah. and it, it basically mm-hmm. limits the ability of uh, of public employees to strike by by creating this state relations board that uh, mediates contract yeah. Uh, disputes. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that employees should be restricted from their right to strike. You know, I I think that that's just a sort of it should be sort of an inherent civil right that that employees just like you know. U.S. citizens have the right to strike um, or protest in any way. You know, for employees, striking is there is the ultimate form of of protest. I, I believe in people's right to employees' right to strike. So I don't, you know, I think that we should be able to management executives should be able and willing to engage in good faith negotiations. As too should employees. I, I think you know the idea of, of the National Labor Relations Act providing some guidelines as to what that should look like is something that I fully embrace. And that I think is, is necessary because, you know, it, it's just helpful to have some sort of standard. But I, I really support, I fully support workers' rights to strike. All righty. Well, I think that may be time. So I'm going to go to our last question, which is, thank you so much, Diane Morales. We have one question for the lightning round. Do you have a library card? And when and where was the last time you used it, if so? <laughs> oh my God, no, I don't think I do have a library card anymore. Um, I, and I, I haven't been to a public library. I am a, um, a, a Kindle type book, book reader. Although actually my, my real preference is to physically hold a, a book. So I've got lots of books on my bookshelves, but I, I don't think any of them are from the library Okay, in a long time. Thank you so much for, uh, for taking the 10 minutes and rejoining us and best of luck to you in the closing weeks. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. Stay safe, everybody. Thank you, Sean Donovan, for coming back on and answering two tough questions. Uh, We've only got 10 minutes here, so let's get right to it. Of course, you're in it to win it, and the only poll that counts is on election day. But based on the polling to date, you're, you're, you're going to lose. So why is it you think that your impressive resume and your very progressive ideas have failed, at least to this point, and with early television advertising and so on, to get much traction this year? Well, Harry, um, you're a student of of New York City mayor's races more than I am. And um, you know that this is the moment in these last couple weeks when New Yorkers really start to tune in. Uh, We've still got a huge share of New Yorkers who are undecided. And the thing I will say about what I'm seeing in the, in the polls that I'm feeling out on the streets is what New Yorkers are most concerned about are the things that I've been talking about and actually I've been working on for the last 30 years. Housing, homelessness, how we end this terrible cycle of mental illness that we're seeing playing out on our streets and our shelters at Rikers. 
those are the issues that I'm talking about and that I've been working on for the last 30 years. And uh, every conversation I have with New Yorkers, I hear that resonating. So um, this is really when New Yorkers are making up their minds. And I believe they want a mayor who has the big, bold ideas to bring the city back, but also the track record to make those ideas real in the lives of New Yorkers every day. So one of the latest polls that came out said that New Yorkers are really concerned about crime uh, and the, the rise of crime. And you've got Eric Adams, who seems to be on one end, and Diane Morales, who seems to be on the other. And so of the, your central issues, crime, <laughs> I don't know whose dog that is, but he <laughs> clearly wants to, he wants in on this conversation too. So crime doesn't really seem to be one of, you know, sort of your three tenets. You're kind of in the middle somewhere. How do you articulate to voters in these last two weeks where you stand on an issue that's so important to them? Well, Christina, what I would say is you can't actually be progressive unless you've made progress on issues around safety, mental health, homelessness. I actually have the boldest plan to be able to invest $3 billion a year uh, by the end of my first term into mental health, violence, interruption initiatives into housing. And that's the record I bring to this issue, not not one just of rhetoric, but of results. When I was housing commissioner, I was the first person to give housing to folks coming out of Rikers. Uh, It really broke the cycle of incarceration. More than 90% of those folks were stably housed a year later. The program was successful enough, it's now been replicated in more than 30 cities around the country. So I have a deeply progressive record on this of creating both safety and respect in, in communities. And I think that's what's resonating with folks um, when they when they think about this, not just plans, but actual experience to invest in safe communities and break the cycle of incarceration and mental health. You, you, you've had very impressive positions in the Bloomberg administration and the Obama administration. You, you haven't run for office before. What do you know now that you didn't uh, when that experience started about New York and about running? You know, Harry, I would say uh, this is a one-time experience. Uh, Running in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, I'm not sure, relates to any other experience. And what I will say, you know, I'm headed up to the Bronx today. I'm going to be focused on the crisis that we have for our LGBTQ young people of homelessness and how we solve that, uh, especially focusing on that in Pride Month. And what I have loved, especially these last few weeks, is getting back out a- around our city. And I think the lesson I learned was I've had enough Zoom. I-, I miss New Yorkers. I want to be back out across the city. It's exactly why I started working 30 years ago in the South Bronx and Central Brooklyn to, to rebuild those communities. Our-, our city is hurting, and we need a mayor who's been doing the work these last 30 years Uh, to rebuild, to rebuild from that moment of crisis, to rebuild from the Great Recession and the housing crisis that stole half of Black and Brown wealth in our city and our country, and rebuilding from Sandy. And those are the experiences I bring to the campaign trail. I'm a public servant, not a politician, as you said. So really quickly, because you mentioned LGBTQ plus youth, do you work with Fierce at all? Have you heard of Fierce? I have heard of Fierce, and I worked with them uh, uh, some time ago. The, look, the 
what a lot of folks don't know about me, I mentioned you can't be progressive without making progress on these issues. I was the first cabinet secretary in history to endorse marriage equality. Um, I did pathbreaking work with Julian Castro to create real protections under the Fair Housing Act for LGBTQ people, for transgender people. And I, I celebrated last year when we won a, a huge victory at the Supreme Court. I think now is the time, especially during Pride Month, to, to focus on what we need to do to deliver on that promise. And particularly when almost half of our LGBTQ youth are homeless, we have to make sure that we're creating opportunities for the most vulnerable in our city uh, to find the housing. This is why we've seen homelessness, uh, individuals who sleep on our streets and in shelter double under Mayor de Blasio. I was able to bring it down by 30% working in the Bloomberg administration effectively on homelessness. We need a mayor who can really get these issues under control, especially when the mental health issues are playing into safety, right? Um, folks right. afraid to ride the subways, pushed on tracks, slashed. Uh, our anti-Asian hate crimes are really a, a product of the mental health epidemic that we're play is playing out on our streets. We need to end it. Just one quick point of clarification, just, just as we're talking this through quickly, I believe is that, that about 40% of homeless youth are LGBTQ, not that half of LGBTQ youth are homeless, right? Correct. Um, I'm, I, what LGBTQ youth represent less than 10% of our youth, but there are different estimates anywhere between a third and half of our homeless youth are LGBTQ. So they're disproportionately represented among uh, our homeless youth. And, and that's a tragedy that needs focus right. and, and needs to end. And just a quick shout out to Fierce NYC because they help Black and Latinx LGBTQ plus youth, particularly who are, are affected by homelessness. Um, okay, so last question. How can you possibly say that dad's money isn't coordinating with your campaign? We know it's not a crime, but it seems like a possible violation of the spirit of the campaign finance system. Walk us through that briefly. Well, look, um, this was something that the Campaign Finance Board looked at, exactly that question. They confirmed what I've been saying all along, that there is no coordination there. And, and look, more broadly, there are lots of these groups. Uh, I'm not coordinating with any of them. You see them supporting many, many different campaigns. What New Yorkers are focused on is not my family. They want to know what we're going to do for their families at this moment. And, and that's what I'm focused on delivering plans that are actually going to make opportunity available uh, in every community to every family. And look, Christina, that's, that's why I started working 30 years ago in the Bronx in central Brooklyn to build opportunity for every family. That's what I focused on for 30 years. That's what I would do at City Hall is bring both compassion and competence back to City Hall. So when you're at the dinner table and, and dad says, hey, son, how's it going? You're like, Nothing doing. Look, like, what are you guys talking about? I, I, I have a grandson. He has a grandson, my son, who just graduated college. Um, we talk about. Oh, so you're chopped uh, liver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, the grandkids are always the most important. And look, folks aren't worried that he's lobbying me for more time with the grandkids, right? We have mega Republican donors, uh, others who are really trying uh, to twist the politics of, of this city. What I'm trying to deliver is opportunity, the same opportunity, affordable housing, uh, solving homelessness that I've been working on for 30 years. That's what I would bring to City Hall. As mayor, 
Would you uh, want to change the campaign finance matching fund system? We have it all and how the board works. So do you think this world is right the way it is? And with, with all the candidates, I think, except for Diane having outside groups spending on their behalf, uh, or, or would you want to change that? Um, you know, you're, you're, you're living in the world it is. Uh, is this the world you want? Well, Harry, look, we should be proud of our New York City system, right? I've spent a huge amount of time, other candidates who are participating in the matching system, reaching out to New Yorkers, making sure we're getting small donations and that average New Yorkers have a big voice in this campaign. The, the root of the problem, as you know, is the Citizens United decision at the Supreme Court. Um, we need federal change if we're really going to, to build a better system. And we need to make sure that how we district our, our elections um, in this country changes as well. That's something Eric Holder, um, friend and former colleague, has been working on. I'm proud of the work that, that he's doing. So there is a lot of change we need to make. But we should be proud of our matching system that I proudly participate in every day and, and reach out to average New Yorkers. Th thank you again, Sean Donovan, for, for taking two tough questions. And we have a one question lightning round before letting you go. Do you have a library card and when and where was the last time you used it? If so. So I, I do. And, and my boys, when they were younger, we used to go regularly. And I have to say, I think the most beautiful, my favorite branch is right in Grand Army Plaza. The Brooklyn Public Library branch there is just uh, spectacular. So that's the place that I've used it most. Great. Thank, Thank you. you. Good luck. We'll see you on June 22nd. Mm. Big elbow bump to both of you. Good to see you. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Thank you. All right. So thank you, Ray McGuire, for coming back on to FAQ NYC and answering two tough questions or maybe a few more. We've only got 10 minutes here, so let's get right to it. So you are the finance guy in the race. How are you feeling about your return on your investment here? And what do you know about New York City that you didn't know before this run? I, you know, I am the finance person. I am more than the finance person. That's a little bit about what I've done. Um, it is, it is more than worth the investment. It is for New York. And given that we are at a dangerous crossroads where you have clear the choices between wrong and right on the ballot, I could be more excited about being on the side of right. Okay. And then what do you know about New York City that you didn't know before this run? that there was a significant political class here that, you know, needs to be, we, we need to have a vision about this city that is more inclusive, that is actually focused on solutions for the challenges that we've had. Listen, we've got the challenges that existed before COVID. COVID just exposed and exacerbated them. And many of those who've been in leadership positions in government, not all, but certainly a few, many of the current mayoral candidates, you know, they had their chance and we've not improved, which is why the investment that we've made in our making is so important to the future of this city. I'm so excited about this. So speaking of having your chance, the only poll that counts is going to be on June 22nd. We may not know the winner for weeks after that. However, from, from the polling we've seen up until now, it looks like you, you would fall short. And so I'm interested in why it is that you think that your resume and your, your ideas, the right ideas, have failed to get traction to this point this year and what that says about the city. You know, I think it probably says more about the polls than it does about the city. I'm pretty confident that the largest vote getter out there 
is undecided, and I'm pretty confident that we're connected with undecided. You know, when undecided understands my purpose or my journey, then they understand my purpose. And that purpose is what is in the best interest of this city. It is safety. It is integrity. It is competence. It is bringing this city together. It is making sure that there's a moral compass here, that there's, you know, ethics that are focused on and guided by true north. That's the right side of this. That's the right direction. And the more New Yorkers understand that there is a clear choice between those who have been in positions who clearly head in the wrong direction, have some clouds over them, versus those who have been scrutinized at the highest levels for the longest period of time or in the right direction, the polls are going to show on June 22nd, beginning on June 12th, the direction of this city. I'm confident about the direction of the city. But you've been in the race for, I don't know, what, six months now? Like, why do you think that voters are still unclear and undecided when you've been pretty consistent with your message about safety, economics, COVID recovery, et cetera? I'm glad. I'm, listen, I'm encouraged that you know the message. That's like, that's like, <laughs> right. Well, they, we pay the, attention. The message is getting through. That's literally <laughs> that you're paying attention. Voters are just now beginning to pay attention. You know, I've been doing this for six months. Many people have been doing this their entire lives. And so they clearly have name recognition and they're putting forth promises that people at some point will decide whether or not they should discount those promises as they put forth promises before that have gone undelivered and unfulfilled versus whether or not they're prepared to look at somebody who's got a clear track record of delivering. So I know that uh, you had a uh, meeting courtesy call over Zoom back when everything was on Zoom with Eric Adams, and he gave you some friendly advice about how uh, politics is like a prison yard and you might get shanked. I, I feel like a bunch of what you're saying here may be directed at Eric Adams. Do you have concerns about uh, him in particular as the next mayor in New York City? Listen, I think the concerns that New Yorkers have about any of the candidates, and including Eric Adams, is being played out every day. Article after article highlights the track record of those in office and those who are running for office. And the media has gone through and done its own investigation with some pretty widely distributed and detailed exposés about prior behavior and about track record. So I'd, I'd look to the evidence that's in front of us, which is pretty clear about all the candidates. And then you make a determination. All it requires is a certain bit of reading. You don't have to go that deep in the reading. So... When you came on FAQ the first time, I think Harry and I are in agreement that your interview with us, the first 30 minutes, you know, it's pretty standard fare. But the, the latter portion was a real exposure, I think, of the real Ray McGuire. There was energy and personality and detail, but I don't always see that in the debates, in the forums. There's a different Ray McGuire that's more buttoned up, that's focused and on message, do you have any regrets that as a first-time candidate about sort of keeping this personality under wraps? I, I feel like there's the candidate, Ray McGuire, who's very serious and you're talking about all the things that you will do as 110th mayor of New York. But then when you're with us and we've seen it, one or two little other glimpses, there's a real effervescence that we just haven't seen on the campaign trail. So why or why not? And do you regret not showing just a little bit more of what we've seen on FAQ? Because a lot of the feedback we've gotten was, why doesn't the Ray McGuire who came on FAQ show up on, on the debate stage? You know, I think there's probably been one debate stage where you it is much more scripted when you get in front of those 
you know, you get in front of the stage and they have these cards flashing. What you try to do is you play by the rules, right? You pay by the rules of engagement here. You all are much more inviting. It's much more conversational. It is less 30 to 45 second timed where we got the opportunity to, to actually interact, right? You're on the debate stage and you got people waving signs and you got the moderator saying you got five seconds to go as you deliver this. It is much more of a framed interaction, much less free willing, less natural interaction. So what I get with you all, we're going heads up. We're going straight up, right? So you all ask the tough questions and I give you my response to those tough questions. We can develop that mutual respect, that mutual interaction, which is why you all are so effective at what you do. You bring out the personality, you bring out the policies. And so the more forums we have like this, the better you can see, you know, Ray Ray in the mix. Ray right? Ray in the a, mix. That's Ray the name Ray of this episode, Harry. That's the name of this episode. If 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 Ray Ray is not mayor, just just if, uh, do you have new ideas on how you would want to engage with the uh, with with the civic life and the direction of New York City from from what you've experienced as a candidate and stepping into this role? You know, the answer is I have been so heavily involved in the civic way in education in the arts, in healthcare, in criminal justice, I'll continue that work. You know, it would be great to be doing it from a platform that's larger so that you can have a bigger impact. This is all about impact. So I'll continue to do the work. Remember, I've been a private public servant for the most of my career and four decades I've been doing this. So it's not new. The investment is not new. I've been a doer. I haven't been a talker. And I got tangible results. As you all know, I call them receipts. You all may call them that too. And many of your audience may call them that, but I have that. And so I'll continue to do that. I'll continue to mentor as many of those who are up and coming. I've got thousands of mentees out there. I'll continue to do that. But the city is at such a crisis moment that I thought that I would move out of the private sector into the public sector to see if we can't get similar kind of results. Not talking about it, but doing it, right? This has got to be, you got to do the work. It ain't no campaign slogan. You got receipts, you don't. That's where it comes down. (laughs) Well, I mean, do you ever feel a concern about the the amount of influence the private sector and the philanthropists like yourself and your friends have on some of the services that government should provide? I can, I'm concerned that we can't provide enough. That's what I'm concerned with. I, I'm not concerned about that which is done. I'm concerned about that which is needed that is not getting done. That's what I'm concerned about. No, I don't think, I, don't, I think that the private sector in many ways, if I look at many of these institutions, just think about arts and other countries. Arts are in many ways funded by the public sector. Arts here in many ways funded by the private sector. Education is fundamental. You can only do so much in the private sector to affect education of a million one kids. And so I look at education as fundamental to the city and I look at where we are in education. Randomly take 10 black and brown boys and girls in the fourth grade and two, maybe three can read. Come on, how's that working? Now, let me give you something else that breaks my heart. It tears me down. $26,000 a year on average in education. Kids in the Bronx don't have crayons. That's number one. $446,000 a year for an inmate at Rikers. We need to transform the educational system. But who's yelling and shouting about it? Who's outraged about it? I can't solve that in the private sector alone. right? You got to be able to get the public sector to get involved so that our children's lives are not determined by their zip codes. Where is that? Who's outraged about that? Who said anything about that? Ray McGuire, 
Thank you again for rejoining us. And every other candidate got a one-question lightning round. You're going to get two. Far so, away. I knew you were going to be hard on me. I'm good with that. <laughs> hey, listen, oh. I just I, I want our listeners to remember that Ray McGuire did promise me my own beard and once the campaign was done. I'm just going to say No, 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 no. I promise you to come see the beard. No one talking about I promise you oh, the beard. My, my memory was a little shaky. I, I know. I just, they made sure that we clear the public record up, okay? You can come see the beardings. Tell me, I give you a beard. What, what planet is this? This got to be the lightning round. I mean, lightning just struck. <laughs> and the Go last ahead, one then, the last one then, do you have a library card? And when and where was the last time you used it, if so? Do I have a library card? You mean, do I sit on the board of the New York Public Library, making sure they get Wi-Fi hotspots into the, yeah, I sit on the board of the New York Public Library. Do you have a library card? And and also, why, why are so many branches not still entirely open uh, 15 months later? Very frustrated by that. They're starting to, but not entirely. Many have been open. You saw the latest brand new iteration of how we bring education to New Yorkers on Fifth Avenue and the new facility. So, yes, I am a longstanding member of the New York Public Library. And when and where was the last time you used your card? A card that I, do they issue me a card? I may have a card. I just, you know, I go in, given the fact that I've been at the library and been on the board of the library, I think they issue me cards. I have a ID if that qualifies. Can you take out books with the ID? That, I mean, that's really. Yeah, I can take out books, man. Yeah, I can take out books. Most, most of this is on my machine, too. You know that, right? I got a digital library. You know, this is one of the law of the Library of Congress. We've been digitized, and I sit on the board to make sure that happens as well. So, yeah, I'm a longstanding member of the New York Public Library. And, by the way, one of the first cards I had was a library card growing up. I felt really good about that. I still do. Ray McGuire, thank thank you for rejoining us. We'll be over after the— After June 22nd and the results. Yeah, Harry's trying to figure out how he gets to see a beard in two. Harry just invited himself to that. Man, I saw you on the slide talking about we. First of all, it's Christina. Now you're talking about we. Where you get we, Kim? So what is it we stuff? Harry and I travel as a unit. Okay, I got y'all unit, G unit. I got you, okay? Right. We are okay. the G unit brand for FAQ. After all the election season is over, we will be at the McGuire household to get a personal tour. Okay, we can get best of best of luck on June twenty second. Thank you all. Okay, appreciate you. Okay, take good care. Thank you, Catherine Garcia, for coming back on and answering two tough questions. Uh, We've only got ten minutes here, so uh, let's get right to it. First off, when exactly did you realize that you could do uh, Bill De Blasio's job better than he can? I believe that that occurred probably. Sometime uh, in the last year. No, probably in the last year and a half. 2019. And and was there a a specific moment or a last straw that you would point to? There was not a specific, specific moment, but it was just the frustration of watching decisions not get made uh, and the constant pushing of things uh, into the future that needed resolution. So what is your vision for New York City? past competence. A mayor is a deputy mayors and commissioners like you've been to enact their vision, but can you define your vision? And is there a signature idea that would define a Garcia administration and the New Yorkers could judge its success or failure against? Oh, yeah. The, the vision that I have for New York City is really about having it be a much more livable city 
where you can raise your children on a paycheck. And so that is, that is thinking through that lens. How do we make this a greener city? How do we make it so that we are creating trust between communities and the police that is doing a one city permit and cutting the bureaucracy? Uh, you know, the visionaries actually have been embracing a lot of my plans of how I think that the city can really take off. And I am excited about the opportunity to implement real transformative change in the city of New York and come out of the pandemic strongly, which means that I do want to see free childcare for those who make less than $70,000 and support families. Uh, that I do want to see real change in the Department of Education so that we are preparing people for the careers of the 21st century and that we are unifying everyone across the city because we need everyone's talent. We need to come together strongly to be able to jump into the next, uh, the next step. When you were a commissioner and serving in the de Blasio administration, did you ever publicly criticize the NYPD? Uh, when I was a commissioner, I don't think I ever had an opportunity to be critical of the NYPD. It would not have been appropriate. Just one more here. Uh, the Post, which has endorsed Eric Adams, has had several pieces in the past week demeaning your record. In effect, they've argued that the streets have gotten dirtier on your watch, sanitation, and uh, that you helped further a uh, cover-up by the de Blasio administration of lead paint in public housing when you served as the interim uh, chair at NYCHA. Um, what do you say to that, to people who've read the Post uh, articles but not necessarily heard your response? Oh, it's, uh, you know, all of those, as you can see, are, are really about just the political campaign. You know, I am excited about the work I'm going to get to do when I'm mayor, and I know that my record stands for itself. I left sanitation strong, but obviously vehemently disagreed with the budget cuts. The food program has delivered 230 million meals today. It's pretty amazing, shockingly amazing. And, you know, while I was at NYCHA for like about four months, you know, stepped in, stepped in at a moment when nobody wanted that job to hold things together and to be transparent with the public about what was happening until they were able to find a permanent chair. Cause I am the one who takes the hard jobs, takes the jobs that require real courage because I'm committed to serving the people of New York. And that was what I was, was needed at the time. Based on your experiences there, how would you reckon we can do this in terms of labor management? Uh, NYCHA might function a little differently in your administration than it did in uh, de Blasio's. I know that when Cholo was there, for instance, there, there was a lot of back and forth inside the administration about getting workers to work outside of nine to five hours. And that, that infuriated residents, and it didn't happen. And that, that was fundamentally a labor issue. So I'm just curious how, how you'd go about uh, handling some of those things for NYCHA in particular. Oh, so as you know, when I was sanitation commissioner, I worked very closely with labor, particularly during the pandemic, uh, to make it so that they were safe, but we were still doing our job. And like we changed the shifts around and started at 5 a.m. to keep them out of the public. We moved more of our collections tonight. And so 
sitting down with labor and being able to hash out where to go is something I have a long track record. And why the sanitation union endorsed me is because they know that we can work together on a common cause to get things done uh, that works for labor, but also it really is about serving the public. And the same thing will be true with the unions at NYCHA. So thank you again, Catherine Garcia, for taking two, which may have been more like five uh, tough questions there. And we have a one question lightning round uh, to, uh, to finish up. And it's nice to have you back on and thank you for taking the time. Good luck in the closing weeks, which is, do you have a library card? And when and where was the last time you used it, if so? Oh, goodness. I do not currently have a library card. And the last time I had a library card, my kids were little. And we went to either Grand Army Plaza or uh, 6th Avenue and 9th Street uh, to those two branches of the Brooklyn Public Library. So I have not been partaking of all of the resources, which I should be. Thank you again. Thank you. Take care. FAQ. FAQ NYC is a production of Racket Media and a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists and Artists. We're headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research and recorded this week from the boroughs of Brooklyn and Manhattan. A special thank you to our guests this week, Paperboy Love Prince, Diane Morales, Catherine Garcia, Sean Donovan, and Ray McGuire. Our executive producers, Alex Brooklyn and Adam Kamara, mixed and edited this episode. Be safe, be well, wear a mask, and we'll see you next week. Who's got I mean, because we're asking tough questions, we can only mock yeah, yeah. one candidate if we mock all the candidates, sadly. Right, right, right. And I don't have me and make answer for everyone yet. Uh, th- that is Thunder, the, uh, the dog who loves to bark when I do podcasts and all the rest of the time.